Well, Christmas itself means the word Christmas, Christ Mass, the worship of Christ. And this uh, morning, I'm going to start a couple Christmas messages about Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Mary, of course, the woman who was chosen by God to give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about her. Mary was a very uh, common name among Jewish women. Six or seven Marys in the Bible. Uh, Mary likely from the tribe of Levi, one of the 12 tribes of, uh, of the Israelite people. We don't know a lot about her. We do know her hometown was in a small uh, village called Nazareth. It was in the region of Galilee. It's like saying uh, if Bowie County is, uh, uh, is Galilee, then uh, Mary would have been born in Douglasville. Something small like that. Malta, maybe. I mean, but she was not born in Texarkana, a little bigger city. Wasn't born in Dallas. Wasn't born in Houston or, or New York or Austin or anywhere like that. And you would think in a world where someone of this great prominence were coming into the world, it would be the best of everything. Uh, Mary and her husband were likely poor. We know that because when, when uh, they dedicated Jesus on the eighth day, Normally, you would bring a, a, a lamb as a sacrifice to God to say, you know, for the firstborn. But they brought pigeons and turtle doves because they didn't have money. She was married to Joseph. After Jesus, they had other children. But uh, Jesus was the special one. Now, we say as Christians, Merry Christmas. There's somewhat of a culture war the last few years where even retailers, they didn't want, you know, the secularists were saying, no Merry Christmas for us, and they kind of backed off. But then Christians rightfully said, hey, look, this is about the birth of Jesus Christ. If you want to do Black Friday for, you know, some other crazy holiday, you do that. But this is about Jesus, and we're going to celebrate him. And for money, they said, okay. But not everybody wants us to have a Merry Christmas, even an M-A-R-Y Christmas or a Merry Christmas, anything to do with Christ, because they don't want Jesus in the middle of the mix. There's a billboard I want to show you. It's a, it was put up by an atheist organization. I apologize. It's not good quality. I don't think they use their iPhone. They probably used an Android maybe or something. I know I offended half the people with that, but I just like Apple stuff. But anyway, as best you can see it, here's a little girl. She's nine years of age, and here's what she says. She says, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for the fairy tales. So this is appearing all throughout the South now. It's about an American Atheist Association. Supposedly the little girl is the, uh, is the president's daughter. But I wonder if we could take just a minute, this little nine-year-old girl, if we could just pray for her that she would have an encounter with Christ. You know, Madeline Murray O'Hare, the one that was responsible for getting prayer out of public places. You know her son is a dedicated Christian. You can Google his life, and he, he's, he's a powerful Christian. But let's just pray for this little girl just a second. Lord, we do pray for her today. We pray that the light of Christ would shine in her at a young age. And because of the platform that she'll have, that she'll influence many for you. But anyway, notice what she said. All I want for Christmas is to skip church. I'm too old for fairy tales. Seems a little arrogant to me. Seems uh, uh, almost ignorant. It's a little ironic when a smart girl is telling Santa she doesn't believe in fairy tales. But having said that, it's a stretch for me to even imagine that Christmas is a fairy tale. When we talk about the fact that the life, the birth of Jesus Christ separates time. B.C. and A.D., before Christ and in the year of our Lord, Anno Domino, a, a Latin phrase. If you're being schooled in America today, you don't see those phrases anymore. You see C.E., which is the common era, and then you see B.C.E., before the common era. 
It's almost like the secularists in our, in our nation today want to remove any vestige of God in our culture. No manger scenes. We don't want that. We don't want the Ten Commandments on the walls of our schools. Some schools will even go as far as to say we don't want kids wearing red and green. We don't want Christmas trees because they are Christmas. And there's just an outright hatred for God. But how many know no matter what they do, they can never get rid of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Yeah. <laughs> You, 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 may, you may change some of the scenery here on earth, but you cannot get rid of the one who created this thing. Come on. And the one to whom one day the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But nonetheless, they're trying hard. Back to this idea that, that, that Christ's birth is a fairy tale. You know, his life was predicted by a dozen plus writers in the Old Testament. And this is all verified. It's like you would study anything from history, any history book. You can go back in the Bible. You can see when books were written 700 years before his birth. The book of Micah predicted the town of his birth 700 years before. Isaiah predicted that he would be born of a virgin. These prophets predicted events that happened through the course of his life, especially the latter part of his life. These Old Testament prophets predicted that Judas would betray him for a handful of silver. It predicted that the Roman soldiers would not tear his clothing, but they would gamble for it. I mean, all these things that a rational person would know that something is different about this man, Jesus, that 700 years and more earlier, that the Bible would speak of his life. Uh, the, uh, the Scripture records the miracle he performed. Uh, 500 plus people saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And today, billions of people believe in him. Billions of people, some highly educated and all having a testimony that my life has personally been changed by this baby in a manger, come on, who grew up to be the savior of the world and who's alive today. That's not the language of fairy tales. Fairy tales are things like flying reindeer and pixie dust and... Uh, uh, carriages turning into pumpkins. And how many know there's no proof for fairy tales, but history itself declares the glory of the Christ child whose birth we celebrate at this time of the year. Come on, the Lord Jesus Christ, King of kings and Savior of the world. Well, I want to, this morning's message, again in this series, have a Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y Christmas. I've entitled this morning's message, The Visitation. The visitation, and it's about Mary's encounter with the angel. When the angel first appeared, Gabriel first came to Mary and told her what was going to happen. And we're going to see Christmas through the eyes of Mary. We'll look at one portion this morning. And uh, as we go to Luke chapter 1, if you've got your Bible, Luke 1 verse 26. When I read the Bible, I'm reading on several levels. First of all, I'm, I'm, I'm reading for facts. I'm looking for doctrine. I'm looking for truth because how many know you're not going to find truth with uh, Jimmy Kimmel on late night? Uh, it's just not going to be there. He's going to say things that make you laugh. Oftentimes in classrooms today, you won't find truth. Uh, even if you, any, any, any class that you begin that says there is no God, some of the uh, facts of that class will inherently be wrong. If your starting place, there is no God, and it's likely that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you'll end up at the top of the pyramid with self-actualization. But nowhere in this hierarchy of needs is forgiveness, our sins. Nowhere in this hierarchy of needs is relationship with God. So no matter how educated a person may be, if they present you life without the starting place of God is... All that they give you, certainly some of it may be incorrect. So I'm looking for facts as I'm looking for truth. I'm looking for doctrine. I'm looking to understand historical context. 
That's why I believe it's so important that you get a good study Bible when you read. Which, by the way, we have a Bible God's in the back of your chair. We've got a phone app. I encourage people to read a couple chapters a day. Uh, if some of the old's a little dry, read the New Testament. Read some Proverbs. But reading your Bible will help you in your relationship with God because probably the most important reason I read my Bible is not just for the facts, but it's so God will speak to me how to live my life. And on the pages of Scripture, literally, is a way for God to communicate with us. So what I'd like to do this morning is read this passage, about 12 verses, uh, make some historical comments, and then I'm going to look for three things that we can readily apply from this story to our life today. So let's begin Luke chapter 1, verse 26, a visitation that changed the world. Luke 1, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And I want you to notice how specific this is. And he was sent to a virgin that was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now, betrothal, somewhat similar to engagement, but much more serious. When you were betrothed in the biblical era, it was as if you were married. You did everything but live together and have intimates, intimate moments together. Uh, you were way committed. If you wanted to break off your betrothal, you would literally have to have a divorce, like we, and it would have to be a legal proceeding. So it was a significant thing. People looked at them as husband and wife. Now, I want you to notice when it said Joseph was of the house of David. And we're going to come back to this. This is King David. He was the greatest king that Israel ever knew. He was at the epitome of righteous living and success in, in, among the Jewish people. Uh, and the New Testament says he was a man after God's own heart. We know him as a man who sinned and had struggles, but we also know him as a man who is very close to God, and he is a part of the lineage of Christ. One of the uniqueness of Christ's birth is Christ's Jewish heritage. That's why it was so important for the Jewish people. They started with Abraham and the Jewish lineage to Jacob and the 12 tribes of Israel, and the genealogy will trace Jesus through that pattern. We'll, we'll talk about that and what it means. But he was sent to a virgin whose name was Mary. Mary, again, was likely in her mid-teenage years. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, this word favor is the Greek word charis. We get the word grace, which implies that Mary had this great grace or favor from God, uh, not because she was lucky, it was not accidental, but it was a sense of sovereignty there. I mean, the Scripture tells us that we, you and I, are saved by by grace, through faith, it's a gift of God, not by works. So Mary didn't earn this, this place of privilege, but I'll suggest to you she was in position by the way she lived her life to be used greatly by God. Now the angel said to her, uh, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor, there it is, grace with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." And the name Jesus is a very common name in their era. To us, it's a sacred name. But Jesus was a common name, suggesting to us that he was a man. The Bible teaches us that he was both God and man. Not 50-50, but somehow he was 100% man and 100% God. I can't explain it to you. It's just who he is. Uh, scripture goes on to say, uh, he will be great. That's, to me, one of the biggest understatements in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus will be great. And he'll be called the Son of the Most High. Now we're referring to his divinity. So he was a man, but now he's the son of the Most High. This phrase suggests a replica of the Father. So Jesus was not just a good guy. He was not just a good moral teacher. 
Several weeks ago, we referenced the quote from a number of atheists who said Jesus was a good man and he had good teaching to help the human race. Well, he was not a good man. He was the Son of God. He was equal with God the Father. He was not a lesser God, as some false religions teach, but he was God himself. He will be great, called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, here it is, the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. The house of Jacob. Jacob was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. He will reign over the, not only the Israelite people, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So what Jesus started on this earth will go forever. What you are doing as a Christian, when you get saved, when you are born again, you enter into his kingdom, but his kingdom goes on with you forever as a part of it. How many can say that's a good thing? Forever is a long time, and it's not just earth, which is a short time, but it's an eternity he's prepared for us. Uh, Mary asked the angel, verse 34, how's this going to happen since I'm a virgin? Now, when Zechariah, you remember Zechariah was uh, what amounted to Jesus as would be his uncle, an angel came to him and said his wife would have a baby when they were old, and he said, well, we're too old to have a baby. How's this going to happen? And that was doubt. And he was blinded for a season because of it. But Mary just basically took God at his word. And we're going to come back to that. That's very important because she simply believed what God said and it opened the door for a miracle for her. And here's what the angel said. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, I'd circle that because how many know that's the same Holy Spirit that lives inside the Christian? That's the same Holy Spirit that gives gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It's the same Holy Spirit that set the book of Acts as a supernatural church and wants us to be supernatural people today. So here was the source of the miracle, miraculous was the Holy Spirit. So the child to be born to you would be called holy, here the Son of God. Your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who has been called barren. In other words, she's six months along. Verse 37, I want you to say this with me. For nothing. Say it again. Nothing. Say it again. Nothing. Nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, go for it. That's what she said. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. And here to me is the most important phrase in the message. Let it be to me according to your word. We'll come back to that, and the angel left. So let's look at three spiritual lessons real quickly. Here's the first one. Uh, Mary was chosen by God because of her purity and her servant's heart. Now, again, remember we said when she found favor with God, she found grace, the caress from God, which implied she didn't work her way into being the, the, the mother of the Son of God, but she was in position because of the way she lived her life so God could entrust her with this great blessing. Same applies to us. Verse 26, here's where I say that. Angel Gabriel was sent from God, and he was sent to a virgin betrothed to Joseph. Now, how many know little girls have all, little girls, teenage girls have always liked teenage boys, and teenage boys have always liked teenage girls? And you had adulterers and you had fornicators in the biblical era, just like today. In some ways, it's harder today because of the media, and, and you can have instant pornography on your phone that you didn't even look for. Someone can sext you a picture, a sexual picture. And, and, and our world today, since the 60s, has done everything it can to take away from the sanctity of a, 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 a man or a woman living as a virgin until they marry and then have an exclusive sexual experience with that husband or wife for their lives. That's God's standard, and our world has done everything it can to erase it. I mean, putting condoms in schools, the television, MTV, Disney, just everything says, have sex with whoever you want to, whenever you want to, and it's okay because nobody's right to tell you what to do. 
But I'm telling you, that kind of person would never be used by God in a big way. Because God's standard is purity. Come on. And if you're like me, you didn't live a pure life. But how many know, you can, when you ask God forgiveness, you can start from that point forward living a pure life. See, it doesn't matter what my past was. Uh, it doesn't matter how many people I slept with or slept with me. But I can stop that, and I can believe, to live godly because I love the Lord. And it's like God gives me a second start in life. That's, that's what he does. But Mary was a virgin in number one. In verse 38 says, she said, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. And I want to draw a distinction in your mind. She wasn't just a believer in the Lord, but she was a follower who served the Lord. And I suggest to you that that's, the, the, that's what Mary had made her unique. Purity, righteousness, and willing to serve the Lord, willing to do whatever the Lord called her to do. Now, how many know God needs people to use in this earth today in a big way? God's looking for teenagers to bring revival to Texas A&M and T.C. He's looking for teenagers to bring revival to, to Redwater, to Texas, to uh, Arkansas, L.E., to Pleasant Grove. You say, well, how will that happen? Well, what if an, what if an athlete is not just known for, you know, uh, sleeping with everybody around and giving his jacket and all that? What if he's known for every time it's time to eat, you bow your head and pray, and he's big enough so if somebody at the table is not praying, he said, put your fork down till we pray and thank God for this food. He's letting his light shine. See, God's looking for people to be a platform at work, in school, wherever you are, to make a difference. Well, this theme is throughout the Bible. Psalm 24, verse 3, it asks the question, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Thinking Moses when he went up to the presence of God for the Ten Commandments. Who can ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who will stand in his holy place like the priest? And here's what it says, and I want you to say this. It's the one who has... Clean hands and a pure heart. What does that mean? Use soap? No. What that means is that your hands are not dabbling in evil. Come on now. But you're living a righteous life. And here what it does is it gets you in position for God to use you in a big way. If you will couple that with this idea that Mary was a servant of the Lord. Now Jesus taught this in John 12. When we talk about serving the Lord, Jesus likened it to a death. He said, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels, a plentiful harvest of new lives. What does that mean? That means that, let's say if God's will for our friend Larry Myers will be here next week. Uh, God's will for him when he was in his mid-40s was to go, to go to Mexico and be a missionary. He went to his church. At that time, he was an assembly of God, and they said, you're too old. Uh, you don't have support. You don't speak the language. And he said, well, you know what? I've got a problem. God told me to go. So now you've got to decide, am I going to serve the Lord and do what he says? Come on. Because he went for a number of years having to just leave his wife for a long period of time, go down with no money. He tells a story in the high desert of Mexico. He had two flats at one time, and he's pushing them down a gravel road like this, hoping to find a gas station the next five miles, ten miles, or somebody pick him up, saying, God, what in the world am I doing here? But this guy kept going, and today, because of he gave the last 30 years of his life, uh, uh, there are probably over 500 churches planted throughout Mexico. There's hospitals with free care. There are literally, in southern Mexico, the Chamula Indians, the descendants of the Mayans, Christianity Today, the magazine, 30, 35 years ago, said they were the most violent people group in the Western Hemisphere. Well, I've got news for you today. Today, there are tens of thousands of Mayan descendants that are Christians, born-again believers, spirit-filled. 
Listen, we've gone down and built churches down there, and when you build the church, the whole village will end up getting saved. They're saved out of paganism, and it's all because one man said, I'll serve the Lord. You see, he could have stayed behind because it was hard for his wife, could have stayed behind because nobody supported him. But when God says go, it's not to punish you. But when you put your seed in the ground, you're going to bring a great harvest. Now, here's the great illusion in where people miss it. Verse 25 says, if you love your life in this world, you're going to lose it. In other words, if all you do is live for yourself, a bigger house, a bigger car, Duck hunting, not just around here, but duck hunting in Canada and in Michigan, come on, in Iowa and in Illinois. I know you're thinking about this. All the way through the Arklatex, all the way to Louisiana, and then getting an airplane and going to, uh, um, where would it be, Argentina. I mean, there's the life, friend. And you just do that, and when you live your life and it's over, you've got nothing for eternity because you lived it all for yourself. And if all you do are living to get more money, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to die before your wife, come on, because of some heart disease, and her new husband is going to enjoy that big house. <laughs> the way it works. If you love your life in this world, you'll lose it. But if you care nothing for your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternity. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have a decent house, car, and go duck hunting. But what it means is Jesus wants to be first. Listen to what Jesus said. If you want to be my disciple, you must follow me because my, my servants must be where I am. And the cool thing is the Father will honor anyone who serves me. Well, I suggest to you, friends, this is what Mary had going on, and this is what God saw. When Mary said, let it be to me, here's a gal that was living right. Come on, living a pure life. Make a mistake, ask God forgiveness, get back on track, but living a pure life and serving the Lord. And if God did big things through her, how many know he'll do big things through us? Come on, if we get ourselves in position like that. Here's another one, and I think this is my favorite part of the message. Do you ever feel like the world is spinning out of control? Are you afraid sometimes to watch the news? You, you watch these negotiations, if that's what you want to call them, uh, as we're enabling Iran to get a nuclear bomb and Israel. And uh, you, know, you look at Democrats, you look at Republicans, neither one of them have a clue what they're going to do. They, they got elected so they cannot do what they said they were going to do because we wanted them to do something that was right, but now they're going to do something else. But it just kind of makes you mad. Our government collected more money last month than in the entire history of America but they still had to borrow $500 billion more, or $400 billion, or create it out of thin air, making our money worth less. You think, are we living in insanity? I want to tell you this, friends. God is still in control. He is orchestrating human affairs and world events according to a divine plan and purpose. Now, I don't mean God may be uh, uh, predestined that you should get shell gas rather than Exxon or Sam's. But what I am saying is this whole thing is going somewhere and God's behind it. Here's why I say that. Verse 26. Think how specific this is. It's the sixth month. An angel goes to the city of Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Now, what does that mean? At the right time, God sent it to a specific person to a specific man in a specific city to accomplish something. And when you read about David, now, if you were to hop back in the genealogy, one of the boring parts of the Bible, but in Matthew 1, it starts out this way. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. 
And then if you read that thing, you'd see it was 14 generations from Abraham to David. It was 14 generations from David to Israel's captivity. And it was 14 generations from the captivity to the birth of Christ. And what it's saying is God has this master plan going on. Come on. He raised up the Jewish race for the number one reason, to bring the Word of God to the world, the Ten Commandments and further, but to also be the lineage to whom Jesus the Messiah was born. And it is no accident that Jesus was born to a virgin, come on, that was predicted by prophets 700 years before it happened. The exact town, the exact location, all these things, I'm telling you, God is in control of this thing. And if you ever feel sometimes like, like a, a, there's a, a master plan at work. I want to tell you, there is a master plan at work. And verse 30, 33 tells us that his kingdom is going to have no end. This was also said in Isaiah 9, 6, that the throne of David would be an eternal kingdom. So my point to you then is the purpose of time in history is for God to prepare a people to be with him in his eternal kingdom forever. Let me say it again. The purpose of time, history, and ultimate world events are that is that God is preparing a people. That's what it means to be saved, to follow him, called out of this world who want to be his, not who are forced to as a robot, but have free will and have chosen him to be with him for all eternity. I'm telling you, friend, we are going somewhere. Let me, let me read this to you. Revelation chapter 21 paints a picture. John the Revelator said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This one's going to be gone. There'll be a lot more cypress sloughs in this new earth, I think, for duck hunting for you uninformed people. <laughs> Verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne of God. And listen to what it said. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, just like Adam and Eve. They're going to be his people, and God will be with them as their God. And one day, God is going to look at you for the first time and see you face to face, and your eyes are going to connect with His, and He'll say, Forrest, I'm glad you're here. He'll look at you and He'll say, David, I couldn't wait to see you. Jesus is going to see us for the first time. For the first time, He'll call our name. He'll say, Penny, good job. Can you imagine the first time when you see the Lord, and the Lord knows everything that you did for Him. The Lord knows when you walked away from your career and education, and your, high, and your principal told you you're moving from success to significance, and the eyes of Jesus see you for what you've done around the world. Come on. And He's going to put His arms out, and He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And then He's going to turn, and He's going to say, Dorothy, for the first time. And you don't have to say, uh, well, I hope you see again. He say, oh no, we're just going to be friends. We're going to be with one another forever. There's no more need of the sun in heaven because the light of Christ is the sun, the Bible teaches us. But we're going to be with him. And listen to what he says. Verse 4, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no more death. There's going to be no more mourning, no crying, no pain. All these former things are gone. Hear me now, no more cancer. No more visits to the cancer doctor. It's all over. Listen, no more visits to the graveyard. See, Jesus gives us this promise that one day, listen, those that are believers that died in Christ, their spirit, their soul goes to be with the Lord, but their body is still down here on this earth. One day the Bible says there's going to be the sound of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise and their bodies will be joined to their souls and we'll be with the Lord forever, my friends. I, I want to tell you, the scripture goes on to say, he says, I'm making all things new. 
And let me tell you, friend, that's why I try to live for Jesus every day of my life. That's why I don't want to be a Sunday Christian. Come on. I want to live for God all my life because I know I'm a part of an eternal kingdom. This thing that I'm a part of is never going to end, and earth is just a warm-up for eternity. It's like earth is like practice for the game. You don't get excited about going to practice. It's the game what motivates you. Alabama, what, they won the SEC last night? I mean, they're in their great glory in heaven. But you know what? You can't take that trophy for the SEC to heaven with you. The only thing you can take to heaven with you, come on, is eternal souls and serving Jesus and what you did for him will last. But I want to tell you, friend, you and I are going somewhere as a Christian. That's why you don't want to get distracted and deterred. That's why when you get down, you don't want to stay down. You want to get back up. You want to be in fellowship with other Christians. So when the world is just beating you down and stepping on you and that atheist bulletin board makes sense to you and, and the professor at college is talking you out of God, you need to be shaken, come on, to know that there is an eternal king I'm a part of. Listen, when someone tries to come to you and seduce you away from your family, when someone tries to get you to lie just for a few dollars, you need to run away from that. Come on, because we're part of an eternal kingdom. And one day God is going to honor and reward us for what we've done for him. That's what I get out of this story when I read it. Let me give you one more, and this is a big one. And for some of you, it's the point of the day. It's this. Nothing is impossible with God. Can I say it again? Nothing. Come on. I didn't hear you. No, nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. God was, and he is a miracle worker. Does your Bible say Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Acts 10, 38, he went about good on this, on this earth, doing good. Now, let me read you something here, and, and let's talk. Mary said to the angel, after he pronounced that she'd have a child, well, how in the world is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Now, this is the whole key to anything supernatural in your life. You don't just become a Christian because you figure it out. The Holy Spirit, come on, grants you repentance that leads to life. The Holy Spirit awakens you. And he's involved. It's the Holy Spirit that was in the book of Acts doing miracles. It's the Holy Spirit that's behind anything supernatural. Uh, Elizabeth, this woman too old to have children, conceived a son. And here, excuse me, she said, nothing will be impossible with God. And notice this next phrase is worth the whole message. I'd underline this. It's the most important. Mary said, say it with me, let it be to me according to your word. And we'll see in that just a moment that Mary's, God's will and Mary's faith and Mary's obedience. You know, the laws that God put in place to govern the universe uh, are pretty, basically tell us this. When a woman has stopped having her cycle, she can no longer have children. The laws of the universe say a virgin cannot have a child. You cannot have a child unless the sperm and an egg join together. And traditionally, it's been through the act of intercourse. Now we're pretty smart today. We can take a woman's egg and we can put it in someone else's womb. We can make babies in test tubes and all that. But you know what? You still can't make babies if you don't have an egg or a sperm. You can't make babies from mud and gravel. You can't make babies from Dr. Pepper and M&Ms. I don't care how great a scientist you are. You can't make babies. There's only one way to make a baby. And if scientists ever get to the place where they can replicate the process and make artificial life, they're still just replicating what the designer created. You understand? True science, what true science does is it uncovers what God has done and it gives him glory for the way that he does it. You, you know the same technology that works your iPhone today or your Android? The same technology was available when Noah was on the ship. People just hadn't, had, didn't understand it. 
But in our arrogance, we think now that we understand how something works, that explains away God rather than expressing greater glory to him. But I'm telling you, friends, as you look at this, God has laws in the universe, but God can change these laws and rules when people who are part of his plan need a miracle. God can change the rules. When he needs a virgin to have a baby, he can do something supernatural. When a couple that's tried to have a child all their life and couldn't have a baby, God can fix it when she's too old and she can have a baby. This is the nature of God. You see, and I want to underscore this because I think one of the reasons that we don't have as many miracles as we maybe saw in the Bible day is because miracles seem to be connected to the mission, not just my need or my desire. Let me say that again. If you're on a mission from God, you can expect miracles to accomplish God's plan. If you're Moses and God said, take my children to the promised land, and you've got two million Israelites behind you, you're camped out by the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army is coming to kill you or bring you back in captivity, you need a miracle to get through that water. If you're Peter and you're serving the Lord and you hadn't been working as a fisherman, you need money to pay taxes, Jesus says, go down to the river and catch a fish and there's gold in that fish's mouth. Now, how many know that's not natural? If you're Paul and you're sharing the gospel and you're building the church in the entire Mediterranean world and you're in prison in Philippi, how many know you need an earthquake and the earthquake opens the prison's doors and your chains shake off and you walk out and everybody in the prison gets saved? See, this is the supernatural. But all these people are on a mission from God. Now, let me say a couple things and then I'm going to close. Here's what I believe was the key to Mary's miracle. It's verse 38. You remember after the angel said, you're going to have a baby? She said, let it be to me according to your word. So her faith and obedience was based on the word and the will of God. She knew what the will of God was. She had faith to believe it. and She did what her part was going to be. Now, God's will, our faith and our obedience. Let me share a story. I, I was taught for a number of years that if I just had enough faith, miracles would happen. And that was pretty much what it was, is, is faith. And I can tell you some things I did that you would laugh at to show my faith, and, uh, and my miracle didn't happen. I read a real a story this week that I'm reluctant to share, but I want to share it. Uh, it, it, was, it was from a woman in Canada. She's a, is all I can understand about her, a deeply committed Christian. Even her van, her vehicle, she's married, she's got a couple kids. Her vehicle has Jesus sayings on it. And not the kind that repent or you're going to hell, you're dirty, rotten sinner. But I mean something that's, you know, kind of pleasing and true on, on the vehicle. Well, her husband got sick and he died. He wouldn't go to the hospital, he died. And he's upstairs in the bedroom and then she believed that he would be resurrected from the dead and she left him there for six months praying. And when his body began to decompose, think about this now, she put duct tape around any, any air place and, and she just was believing God. Now, I looked at that and I had two things. I had an admiration for her faith that was misdirected, but I also had a pity for her as a Christian sister and thinking about the disappointment that she was having and what she went through. And as the world just laughs at us and says we're crazy. My point in sharing that is, faith alone may not get your miracle, come on. But if you're walking in the will of God, in a purpose of God, doing what God calls you to do, and there's something in your way that's impossible, then God has a motivation, come on, to make impossible get out of the way and make virgins have babies and make red seas open, come on, and make axe heads float and make, and make put money in the mouth of a fish because you're on a mission from God. Now, maybe you're here today and uh, maybe you're in a place in your life where to the best of your ability, you're living in the will of God, but you are staring in the impossible right at your face. 
It could be the doctor's words, the lawyer, the, your own limitations, but you're convinced you're in the will of God. I'm going to ask you if you will be like Mary and keep believing no matter what. Because faith believes for a miracle, and when it's grounded, come on, in what God has us to do, we can have confidence that it may just be a matter of time, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who tried for babies for probably 50 years, but then one day God says, now, have a baby. Come on, give him a good hand. He's worthy of our praise. Well, let me close with this, and, and then we'll have a, a prayer for you. And I, I would particularly be honored if our prayer team could pray for you if you need a miracle. Now, listen. A miracle is not just a, a, a new duck spot, okay? I mean, I'd like to have one, but you know what I'm saying? A, a, a miracle is not just, oh, I saw this car, and it was the, it, it was the one most wonderful car in the world, and, and, the, and the salesman told me that, that, that there was, he was going to sell it today, tomorrow, if I didn't buy it today, and, and the payment was only $500. How much money do you make? Well, I make $800, but I'm just going to believe that God, that's not a miracle. Come on now. You can buy cars all day for $500 payments. But, but you need something supernatural to happen or you're not going any farther. We'd be honored just to pray with you, to believe God with you, to believe that your faith would stand strong. But I'm going to close with this. Mary's baby became the Savior of the world. Verse 31 said it this way. Behold, the angel said, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of the Most High. Matthew's gospel added, His name is Jesus and He'll save His people from their sins. I want to talk to you just a second as, as a person just like you. I look back to when I was a 19-year-old boy. I went to church. I was more good than bad. And I thought everything was great between God and I. I had no clue that I was lost. I knew the Bible story, but it had never gotten from my head into my heart. Something happened to me. See, the Bible tells us not only the Christmas story, but it tells us God's plan about how we can have relationship with God. I always knew that Jesus died on the cross. So I had no clue what it meant. The reason he died on the cross is because Adam and Eve gave me something. And my parents transferred it to me and it was called a sinful nature. And my sin separated me from God and I had a problem. Because it only takes one sin to make a sinner. I may be a pretty righteous sinner, but I, I'm still a sinner with one sin. And the only problem is one sin keeps me out of the presence of a holy God. And somebody's got to pay that debt. It's just like the mortgage. You don't pay it, they take the house away. You don't, you don't pay the sin debt. It'll cost an eternity away from God. But Jesus came to this earth as a baby, not just to have fun on earth, but Jesus came to this earth so he could make a way for us to get back with God. It's like we're stranded on a desert island. Uh, we're stranded on Alcatraz. We need a bridge. There's no boats available, so we need a bridge to get us from Alcatraz to San Francisco. Jesus laid his life down as that bridge. But we've got to walk across that bridge. I have to believe that Jesus is what he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him. I have to do what Scripture says. I have to confess my sins, that I am a sinner. I have to believe in him. But listen, I have to follow him. I have to give him my life. And I have to make this great turn that Jesus becomes my Savior in my believing and my Lord in my following Him. And I want to ask you today, is that a step you need to make today? It's great you came to church, but there's something more important than just going to church. It's surrendering your life to follow Christ. I did it on August 15, 1976, and I've never looked back. I've never been the same. Life has ups, life has downs, but Jesus has been a strength to me. Come on, in a shelter. And He's been a confidence to me all the days of my life. If you're here today and say, Pastor, I need that, 
I've got a little religion, but I don't know Christ as my Savior. We'd like to pray with you today and introduce you to him. Not to join a church, but to point you to the Christ and the reality of how to live for him. I'd like to pray for you this morning, if that's you, if you need to make a commitment of your life to Christ. For some, it may be the first time you've ever done it. For others, you've walked with God, but you got away from him. But you want to put your life back on track with God today. We'd be honored to pray with you. But if that's you, if you're here, say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God today. Would you lift your hand real quickly so I know who you are? Just quickly, just say, pray for me. God bless you, dear. Give her a hand. And God bless you. And God bless you. Somebody else today say, pray for me. God bless you. And God bless you. God bless you too, dear. God bless you, pal. God bless you. Somebody else today say, pray for me. God bless you. I need to get my life right with God today. Anyone else today say, pray for me. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. I want all you that lifted your hands, come on up and let us pray for you right now. All you that lifted your hands, come on up and let us pray for you. Come on, give them a big hand as they're coming right now. All you that lifted your hands, I'm going to put my trust in Christ. I'm putting my trust in Christ today. I'm getting on track with God. I'm getting on track with God. Come let us pray. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need a Savior. I'm tired of living for myself. I'm ready to live for God all the days of my life. Anyone else, you come, let us pray for you today. Let's pray for you. Here's what we're going to do. First of all, the Bible says heaven is rejoicing today. Heaven is rejoicing. And I don't want a thing from you. You didn't join our church today. We're pointing you to Christ. We'd be honored if you'd be a part. But we're going to encourage you to walk with God. I'm going to have somebody meet you right over here in just a second. They're going to talk with you, pray with you, and, uh, and help you make a personal commitment just like I did many, many years ago. And then you want to live it out. We're going to give you some things that if you'll just take a few minutes just to read and you'll learn how to live the Christian life. You'll learn that, that, uh, that, that, that Bible reading, prayer, why we go to church, all these things. It's like if you're a kid and you say, I want to be a brain surgeon when I go up, grow up. How many know you don't get a knife out of mom's drawer and say, I'm ready? You, you, you grow into it. And today is the beginning, and we're going to show you how to grow in your Christian life. But we're going to just pray for you as a group right here, right now. Just lift your hand towards these dear people right now. And if there's Christians around them, I want a Christian to be with every one of them, to have a personal moment with them when I'm done. But let's all say this prayer out loud together. You that are in the front and all across the building, let's say this together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. I don't understand your love, but I need it. I acknowledge today that I'm a sinner. I've done things wrong. Sorry. I need forgiveness. I need you to wash my heart and make it clean and give me a brand new start. Jesus, I want you to come in my life and be my Lord and Savior. Give me a brand new life. And with your help, I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, give him a big hand for that. Give him a big hand for that. Give him a big hand. Now, let me tell you what you just did. You just made a decision to invite God to be in your life. And the decision was as simple as when you got in your car and you got ready to turn in on Mall Drive, you could have said, No, I'm going to Wendy's to get a whatever, a baked potato. But you made a choice to come into church. Just like you made a choice for Christ. And it's life-changing. They're going to meet you right over here, and they're going to give you some information to help you. Just walk right over here just one more second. Give them one more big hand. We're real proud of you today. Let's, 
Let's close with one song. I'm sorry we're just a little over, but I want one song and then we'll close, but our prayer team is going to come to the front now, and if you need prayer for anything, this message is touched. Maybe you need a miracle that we were talking about, and you want someone to stand with you in faith believing, whatever it may be, but uh, we'd be honored to pray for you as we close. Let's sing it before we go. I love you very much. Lord, I give you 